The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and as I like to remind you, each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and we are indeed having a good time with that newsletter this year with our uh, gold shares prices up very dramatically. As a matter of fact, I can see that our model portfolio, which includes uh, some things that have not done well, namely shorting the U.S., uh, uh, shorting uh, the um, uh, junk bonds and also shorting uh, the uh, U.S. stock market, those have been not winning trades, obviously. But even with those in our portfolio, our average, uh, our gain, our portfolio is up almost 64% as of last Friday. And within that, we're seeing our junior mining shares up. uh, Well, the exploration companies are up uh, 210%. The uh, companies that are nearing production that have economic studies uh, are up 145%. The big guys, the household name gold mining companies are up 114%. And that's through uh, the 17th of June. So you can see we're having a lot more fun with our newsletter this year. We're making money. Uh, people are, um, are are happy again with the recommendations we're bringing their way. And so you might want to consider taking out a subscription to my newsletter at, at go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. You can also sign up for Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Uh, at miningstocks.com as well. I do want to thank each of you for uh, listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel. And uh, we want to encourage you also to send along your comments, complaints, criticisms, or praises. We'll accept that, too. Uh, send those along to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com, questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for this week's show are Orion Aran Resources. RN Resources, that's A-U-R-Y-N Resources, a, a company that is doing exceedingly well. Uh, Brazil Resources, 
Columbus Gold and Trimetals Mining. Now, in just a few minutes, I will be speaking with Ralph Fitch. He is the CEO of Trimetals Mining. That's a company with a substantial gold resource along the Nevada and Utah border. Uh, Several deposits that they've identified. Uh, They have done some economic studies that look very robust, uh, and the company seems to be on to uh, finding some more higher-grade ore that should make it even more economic. At least that is the hope, and we will be talking to Ralph Fitch after our first commercial break uh, in just a few minutes from now. I might also like to mention that I just spoke with Quinton Henning of Novo Resources a few minutes ago, and Quinton tells me that now Novo has gotten their mining permit. They are expecting their processing permit to follow very shortly. He does expect to start producing gold, uh, test mining, uh, the uh, high-grade gold deposit that we've talked to you about in the past. I do expect to have Quinton Henning back on this show in the not-too-distant future to tell us and uh, give us an update. Uh, in addition to finally expecting uh, some production, we uh, the company has also been reporting some spectacular assays from its blue spec uh, project, which it picked up just recently. Blue spec is something new, uh, but it's ex- exceedingly high-grade uh, uh, mineralization and um, actually dates back to the early time, the same geological time uh, as the Beaton's Creek deposit was formed. So some really good news. I expect a lot more to tell you in the near future. I should mention that uh, I am as optimistic as ever about Novo Resources. It is still, it remains still my single largest holding. And uh, I think it's something you're going to want to keep your eyes on and uh, your ears open to hear what Quentin has to tell us when we have him back on again uh, in the not-too-distant future. I'd like uh, Michael Oliver is not with us today. Uh, that was a mistake on my part. But in any event, I want to pass along a couple of the ideas that he passed along to his subscribers this past week. He's suggesting that uh, gold bugs might do well to just uh, go fishing this summer, take a little break. He believes that we're going to be uh, treading water in sort of a sideways uh, movement here for a little while, uh, and that uh, the gold is setting itself up exceptionally well uh, for a major turn up higher uh, by the end of this month, uh, if we can stay in in, uh, sort of where we are now. He expects that uh, the momentum uh, that he tracks uh, uh, bodes well, that we would, should be looking for something much, much higher uh, on the upside. Uh, specifically, what Michael is looking for uh, in the not-too-distant future is something on the order of 1460 to 1440 uh, for the price of gold. Obviously, that would do wonders for the gold mining shares. Um, Michael doesn't have the same vested interest that I have in seeing that outcome come to pass. I really see Michael as a very objective uh, analyst, uh, a person who uh, who lets the, the markets tell him what's going on. He doesn't try to tell the markets uh, what's going on. And so uh, I, I take his, uh, with all of the success that I've seen this man have since I started tracking him over the last couple of years, uh, I have a very high level of confidence in his predictions. Of course, uh, no one is right 100% of the time, but his, he's been as solid as anybody I've known for quite some time uh, on the technical side. Now, he's predicting that 1460 to 1540 range based on 
his momentum readings, um, that in fact, they've ranged something on the order of 30% up and 30% down from uh, from from the zero range. And uh, you do need to subscribe to his letter to have a better understanding. I certainly don't do justice uh, to explaining uh, Michael's work, and that's why we always like to have him on first and foremost on this show. Uh, hopefully, he will be with us next week. Now, I would, in the meantime, though, suggest you go to OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com, uh, to pick up on Michael's work and uh, possibly consider subscribing to his excellent service. As far as today's show goes, um, we are um, uh, looking at some, I think, some very, very interesting discussions. I just mentioned that we are going to be talking to Ralph Fitch about Trimetals Mining. Uh, that is a company I, I own, I own personally, and it is a recommendation in my newsletter. Most of the companies that come on as sponsors of this show are companies that I have recommended first to my subscribers, and then we bring them on later um, because I've done my homework and I believe in, in what I'm talking about. So uh, Trimetals Mining is a company that looks very, very good to me, and uh, I think Ralph uh, will be able to explain uh, the virtues of the company very well, again, much better than I can. Um, but I've titled today's show as Gold Prices Soar, Russia and China Are Well Prepared, But Is the United States? Now, the issue here is that the United States uh, seems to be um, having enormous amounts of problems with its economy. Now, you wouldn't gather that from the headline news. Uh, while the, uh, unempl- the number of people employed in the country continues to shrink, uh, while inflation rates and the cost of living goes up much faster than the government pretends, uh, while the average Americans are having a harder and harder time making ends meet, while the health care costs are going up dramatically in spite of Obamacare, all of this is going on in the country, and yet the headline news and the people on Wall Street seem to be uh, not at all too, too burdened or too... Uh, too worried about the state of things. However, uh, the average American people are hurting very badly, which I think goes a long way in explaining the political season that we've had, the big surprises from those considered to be outside of the mainstream. So uh, what is really going on? And in the meantime, we see, though, that the United States is doing what a lot of countries have done in the past when they start to get into trouble economically. They are starting to become... Uh, more militant and more bellicose. For example, you probably are not aware, but we will be talking to William Engdahl in a little while, uh, that the United States is really surrounding Russia now. Then when I say the United States, I should say NATO. And the NATO countries are surrounding Russia right now uh, and threatening Russia in various ways. Now, of course, you won't hear that from the mainstream media. No, it's the evil Putin and these horrible Chinese people that are threatening us. But I would ask you to consider, do you see the Chinese on our borders? Do you see the Russians on our borders? Where is NATO now? And just ask yourself, try to look at this thing realistically. Who's, who's picking a fight with whom? Anyway, we're going to be talking to William Engdahl, who has uh, a much different viewpoint uh, on, on U.S. and Russian relations, U.S. and Chinese relations. Uh, and it's, I think, very fascinating to note that both Russia and China have been building up their, their gold reserves enormously, even as uh, the West continues to sell off its gold to a great extent. In any event, uh, the Western banks have, dis, uh, have dishoarded their gold over the last number of years. And um, uh, that is a very interesting development. Meantime, as uh, William Engdahl has told us, uh, the 
New Silk Road is being built. That is the uh, the uh, the railroad that is connecting various countries, the most populous countries in the world together uh, with Russia, China, India, and moving all the way in towards uh, Western Europe, uh, or at least Eastern Europe. And so, uh, obviously, things are changing in the world. And to the extent that economics ultimately determine uh, who has the power in the world, I think you want to keep an eye on what's going on. Now, to the extent that... Um, the U.S. is trying to isolate China and Russia uh, so that they can control the, um, the the global economy and, in fact, become more powerful and, in in effect, do what all empires try to do, and that is to set up one-world governments. Well, that seems to be the direction of things. Uh, meantime, uh, are we safer as a result of it? Uh, what about the potential for war and the and the uh, problems that might arise from? Uh, from the United States threatening Russia, uh, and of course, again, that will probably sound like a strange uh, viewpoint uh, to most of you who live in the United States, at least, because after all, it isn't the United States that's the evildoers, it's the Russians and the Chinese, we all know that, right? Well, a little different view on that, well, William Engdahl will be uh, talking to us about that, and then I, of course, want to ask the question, what does this mean for the gold markets? Not that the gold markets are the most important things. It is what I focus on greatly because that's what I've been doing for a, lot, a large number of, uh, of years. Um, I am invested in gold because I believe in gold as the ultimate monetary metal, the ultimate uh, store of value. It is pure wealth. The Chinese and the Russians understand that. The Western countries don't. The Western countries are really trying to use their military power, I think, to try to project wealth. Um, and, um, well, that makes me uneasy. I don't know about you. But in any event, we do have to go to break. Uh, we're going to take our first commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Ralph Fitch about Trimetals Mining and try to find out uh, why that might be a stock you want to keep your eyes on and might want to consider picking up some shares of. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Ralph Fitch. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. 
back. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Ralph Fitch. He is the exploration geologist. Well, he's actually the president and CEO of Trimetals Mining. It's a company that uh, I have uh, learned to know. It's a company that I have bought shares in, have recommended to my subscribers. Uh, Ralph has a very extensive history uh, background as a geologist of over 50 years of international exploration uh, management and field experience, and uh, he is one of the co-founders of South American Silver Corp, the company that's developed a major deposit uh, in South America. And, uh, well, he's had just a tremendous history over the years, worked for major companies like Chevron Minerals and uh, has been involved in South Africa, Australia, uh, around the United States, different parts of, obviously, South America. So his uh, experience as a, an exploration geologist and as a manager is very extensive and uh, really pleased to have him with us today. Thanks for joining me, Ralph. No, it's a pleasure. Yeah. Really a pleasure? Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just saying it's a pleasure. And, of course, uh, Trimetals Mining is is the company name now, and uh, we're listed on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol TMI, but in the U.S. on the QX Exchange as TMIAF is the common shares. And if we get time, we can also talk about the B shares, which are TMIBF, uh, also on the QX. Okay, let's hope we have some time for that. 135.7 million shares out. I saw earlier this morning in U.S. Uh, in the U.S. markets, which is where I purchased my shares, they were at 23 cents, giving the company a market cap of around 23, uh, 29 million U.S. dollars. Um, Ralph, let's jump right into your story. You have a, a very interesting, a number of different deposit, or a number of different. Um, a, de- a couple deposits, at least, where you have uh, uh, a reserve, a resource, I should say. It's not a reserve yet, uh, but it's a resource, and you've had a preliminary economic study carried out uh, that was quite robust. Tell us about that. Yeah, so uh, we're, we're in the category of exploration and mining company called the Explorers. So uh, we're the guys who go out and and find uh, the gold that you have in your sort of gold jewelry. This is where it all starts. So we start with a geological idea, and then if we're successful, we develop what we call a resource, which is the number of ounces of gold in the ground. And we indeed have have done that. And if you add up the various categories um, that there are, they're called measured and indicated, and then the less well-known Uh, are called inferred. If you add all that lot together, we've got about 903,000 ounces. So we're sort of well on the way to having enough ounces that we can start thinking about uh, mining. Um, But as I go through the story, you'll realize that uh, we think we can find a lot more than this first million ounces. And in fact, publicly, with all the sort of legal caveats, uh, we say that we think we our property is permissive for the discovery of, say, three to five million ounces, which, of course, would be extremely valuable. So we've done that initial geological idea. We've done some of the basic exploration. Uh, we found close to our first million ounces, and we've done what is called this PEA. This is a Canadian uh, category uh, that uh, when you file in, in, in Canada, these are one of the reports that you have to file uh, for the public. And it's really uh, maybe another term or or looser term for it would be scoping study. It's the first engineering study to show whether what you've discovered is likely to be commercial. 
And there's lots more engineering you have to do before you get to the mine, but it's a very useful document to help investors realize uh, that what the, the work that's being done is actually likely to end up uh, with something that makes a profit. And RPEA, as it's called, uh, showed a project 15,000 tons a day. Uh, the net present value uh, of the project was 137 million pre-tax, 92 million after tax, with a, an internal rate of return, IRR, of 49.9%. A very low capex, uh, 55 million, and that's because this property is located on the border of Nevada and Utah, and these are areas where the so-called heat leach technology was uh, developed actually in the 60s. And this is one of the cheapest ways of recovering gold. And so the development of a mine of this type is much cheaper than, say, one that requires a mill. So our initial capex is only uh, $55 million. Uh, and our cash operating costs, so the cost to produce an ounce of gold, is uh, $669 per ounce, uh, according to our PEA study. Mm -hmm. Now, what I really need to get across, Jay, is even though we've got this uh, very robust study, uh, we've only drilled actually 10% of what we think the gold target is. Mm -hmm. And we've got a lot of evidence uh, that we've only drilled 10%. For instance, there's 26 areas in this 74-square-kilometer property that uh, the rock's actually uh, outcropping or sticking out of the ground, and you can get assays of over one gram per ton in uh, all of those areas. And in some, you can get 10, 20, even 30 grams per ton in outcrop. Mm. This is quite remarkable in that Nevada, of course, is a very well-known area for gold, and people have been exploring there for a long time. But in this particular area, uh, for some reason, which is not really clear, uh, it was not uh, explored in any detail. And these uh, minerals are still available at the surface. So we uh -huh. think we've got one mil close to a million ounces. Uh, we've only drilled 10%. And uh, as we continue drilling uh, the other 90%, we think we've got a very good chance of ending up with something quite substantial and uh, quite important from an investor's point of view. Uh, Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, this year, we, we are actually now starting our trenching program on another uh, target. So we've, really, we've got two big targets where our resource has been developed, one in Nevada called Gray Eagle and uh, one called Jumbo in Utah. We're now uh, starting on another one called the Thor, which is actually on the Nevada side of the border, but it's much higher grade. These are some high-grade veins of four to 30 grams in outcrop. And this year we're going to uh, start off by trenching and then uh, drill in that area to see if we can put together a higher grade resource to act as what you might call a, a sort of starter pit. The first year of operations would be at this higher grade. And, <clears throat> and if we're successful in doing that, it has a very positive impact uh, on the economics. Yeah. Well, your economics look pretty strong as it, as it is, uh, Ralph. Uh, and, and I guess, uh, you know, if we're looking at uh, $669 cash cost, you got a $1,200 uh, 
uh, $1,300, somewhere in that range, gold price, uh, that looks pretty robust as it is, so could be even healthier, I guess, if you can uh, increase the average grade. What is your average grade there on that PEA? In the PEA, the, the resource grade is 0.6 grams, what we call gold equivalent. That's you add the gold and the silver, you sort of make that a smaller number because silver is not so valuable as gold, and then combine mm. the two together you end up with 0.6. In actual metal values, that's about half a gram of gold and about 10 grams of silver, or thereabouts. Per ton. Mm -hmm. Per ton. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, Ralph, how far apart are these different uh, occurrences that you've you've seen? I mean, is it feasible that you might have one or two um, heap leaches, or or how do you see this? Are they they close together, these different deposits? Well, the two that we've drilled enough to create a resource, in other words, uh, develop these sort of ounces in the ground, they're about five kilometers apart. And in the uh, PEA, this initial engineering study, uh, we actually mined both of them. So we had skid-mounted crushes and things like that. So we mine one out and then drag it to the other site and and, uh, crush the other or uh, for the heat leaching. Okay, the, Ralph, oh, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, but I think the the uh, important thing there is in both of those areas, the one in Nevada and in Utah, we still have not done enough drilling to know how big those areas are. Uh-huh. And it's quite likely that we'll end up with two separate mines. All right. All right. Now, um, your management uh, team, yourself, uh, and some of your other management members, are you, are you equipped, Ralph, to take this into production yourselves, or is this something that you might try to build a three to five million ounces and attract a major that would come in and pay you a sweet price for it? Well, I think we have uh, Randy Moore, who's our EVP of Exploration in North America, who brought the project to us, this Gold Springs project. And uh, he's a very competent uh, soul, and we have uh, Felipe Malbran, another uh, very competent exploration geologist in in Chile, who's looking after our other major project called uh, Escalones, which is a copper gold porphyry. But our entire focus at the moment is really this uh, gold springs in North America. In earlier years, when we had the Malcucotta project in Bolivia, which was heading towards 400 million ounces of silver, uh, we had developed a complete uh, mining team. Uh, but when that was expropriated by Bolivia, uh, we had to let those people go. So we're, we're quite used to putting the team together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but whether we would do that and go into production or end up being bought out, that, that is one of the things that happens to these uh, exploration companies when they're successful. Often people try and buy them. And since it's a mm-hmm. public market, you know, if they offer a high enough price, then, then the company is sold. Sure. Uh, we think our, our next sort of primary marker in the sand, as it were, is we'd like to get past a couple of million ounces and then uh, make the decision if we uh, move towards production ourselves or continue to build the resource. But both ways, uh, it has the potential to significantly increase our present sort of 40 million market cap. Well, indeed it has. Let me ask you, Ralph, though, you know, mining, you've been around as long as I, longer, I I think a little bit than I. We know how risky this business is. Aside from the price of gold, 
what would you consider to be, uh, you know, what factors could raise their ugly head that would make this, uh, what sort of fatal flaws might might crop up? Can you think of any? Well, I, I, I mean, absolutely. Uh, the exploration business is extremely uh, risky. It's very difficult to find a mine. Uh, we've already got the sort of 903,000 ounces, so we're very close to having enough to uh, start a mine, uh, even if we don't find any more. So that risk is, is not that large. Environmental risks uh, do not appear to be uh, significant at this time. There's a few arrowheads and things around that we have to mitigate, um, but no one has found uh, any uh, significant issues, and we have plan of operations both in Utah and in uh, Nevada for all the exploration effort. So all right. It's relatively low risk, and uh, of course, I buy more shares every year because I'm a big believer in this. Well, and you, of course, you know you have the fate in your own hands, so to speak. But let me ask you: um, with a minute left, uh, talk to us briefly about the B shares you mentioned. Yeah, so I mentioned the Malcucotta project in Bolivia that got expropriated. The B shares get 85% of any cash award after costs, which are likely to be around a third. Uh, so, And that's all they get. So they're not part of Gold Springs or anything else, but it's, a, uh, it's, it's looking at any cash award that we get out of the uh, expropriation hearings, international arbitration that we're going through, and that starts July the 11th. All right. Uh, and the shares are trading. You can buy them on the, on the exchange? Yes, indeed. You yeah, can yeah. buy both the A shares, which is if you're interested in the gold expiration, or the B shares if you're interested in a, a legal issue. All right. All right. Well, it's a, certainly, um, I think, a very exciting story you have going, Ralph, and you've got an exploration program going now. Do we hear some uh, some results uh, soon from those? Uh, I would say mid-July. Uh, we'll start getting the first trenching results. All right. Well, we're going to talk to you again sometime, I think, in the next month or two. So maybe you can uh, give us an update on that and what it might mean uh, in terms of... Yeah, I think by that time we'll be uh, drilling, and uh, so we'll have a lot more exciting news, I believe. And people can keep up with your story, uh, your website. What is that? Primetalsmining.com, and there you'll have a presentation, financials, and, of course, you can always uh, contact me through the website if you want uh, more information. I'd gladly talk to you. All right. Another way people can subscribe to my newsletter, and I'll pass along information as well. It's just a, a shameless plug on my part for my own work. Al- Ralph, thank you so much for being with us today, and we'll look forward to talking to you again in the near future. Thank you very much, Jay, and good day to you too. All righty. Well, folks, uh, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away. William Engdahl will be with us to talk to us from his home in Germany. We want to ask him for his perspective on growing tensions between NATO on the one hand and Russia and China on the other and what that might mean, if anything, uh, for the gold markets and, of course, more importantly, for peace and prosperity throughout the world. So don't go away. We'll be right back with William Engdahl. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Trimetals Mining is a growth-focused mineral exploration company creating value through the exploration and development of its 100% owned near-surface Gold Springs Gold Silver Project in mining-friendly Nevada and Utah. 
TriMetals has only drilled less than 10% of the gold targets at Gold Springs, and it already has a robust preliminary economic assessment. TriMetals believes there is a significant potential to increase the gold mineral resource through further drilling. TriMetals shares are listed on the OTCQX and the TSX under symbols TMIAF and TMI respectively. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and the Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again William Angdahl. William is uh, fast becoming one of our favorite guests here because he does provide a viewpoint that is different. I don't know about you, but I like to hear different ideas. I like variety. I like to think about what's going on and not just accept what I'm told, and therefore I guess that's one of the reasons that I like to talk to William Angdahl. His views and... um, Actually, uh, his books that he has written uh, is, is first how I learned to know about him. Uh, the Gods of Money, one of the ones that I've read and have really learned to uh, enjoy. I think it's really very valuable for Americans to read it in terms of our own history, having an understanding of our own history. You know, all the countries have their own history books, and they interpret history in a way that satisfies the status quo. Sometimes it's good to uh, to get other viewpoints to find out what the truth is as opposed to what you're supposed to believe is true. So we're very thankful that William has joined us again. Thank you for being with me again. Glad to be with you, Jay. Always good to talk to you, uh, even though we're uh, miles and miles apart. You're in Germany, but it sounds like you're next door. Uh, I understand you just recently returned from Russia, where you witnessed uh, in person an interview with Vladimir Putin and uh, CNN anchor Fareed Zakhara. What can you tell us about that event? Uh, what, what was First of all, what was that event, and um, what can you tell us about the dialogue between Mr. Putin and the CNN anchor? Sure. The event was the 20th anniversary of the St. Petersburg International Economic Forum. There were more than 12,000 attendees, businessmen from all over the world, I forget how many countries, uh, and political people such as the Prime Minister of Italy, the President of the EU Commission, uh, Juncker, uh, the heads of many different countries. Uh, it was just a fascinating collection of uh, world businessmen. Russia is by no means, uh, at least on that front, suffering from isolation. People want to do business with Russia. And uh, that apparently happened in, in many cases. The Farid Zakaria, every year apparently, it's my second year being invited there to uh, be a panelist, and last year it was similar, it was Charlie Rose. There's a plenum session with all the you know, paid guests uh, invited. And I had the good fortune through various means to sit right on the front row so I, I could you know, just uh, be 
yards away from, from Putin and, and Zakaria. And they're sitting in these lounge chairs, you know, like on many interview shows, and Zakaria throws questions at Putin. And they're CNN questions, they're hostile questions. And Putin fields the question with no teleprompter. I can tell you this because I was right there, I could see there's no teleprompter. He does it spontaneously, which is very impressive. And the answers he gives are, I cannot imagine an American president going into the kind of depth that he does in his answers. There were two questions that stand out in my mind. One was when Zakaria quoted from a piece of paper that uh, Putin had referred once to Donald Trump as brilliant, uh, creative, and some other very positive adjective. And you still hold those views today. And Putin turned to Zakaria and said, Mr. Zakaria, you're a very well-known journalist and scholar in my country. And the question you just posed was of the worst type of journalistic word twisting, where you took my words and turned them into something completely different. <laughs> I never said Donald Trump was brilliant. I said he was bright, but the word bright in English translates from colorful. You know, <laughs> it it uh, you know the translation was was sloppy apparently. But he said, I never made those kinds of comments. Uh, Mr. Trump said uh, if he were president, he would work uh, with Russia to better our relations. Who should be against that? Are you against that, uh, Mr. Zachary? And so he said, I like this. And Zachary was, just couldn't say anything. And the second one was the banning from the Olympics because of doping and uh, uh, trying to tweak uh, Putin again on this uh, very hot political issue. And Putin said, listen, I'm an amateur sportsman most of my life, and no serious sportsman likes it when somebody cheats at, at world championship. It takes the value out of the effort to do the humanly best possible. Russia does not condone doping in any way, shape, or form. We don't know what happened to those doping samples that we and every other country submitted because they, we weren't allowed to analyze them ourselves in our labs. They were taken immediately to someplace in Lausanne, Switzerland. Wow. And uh, then about the hooliganism, he said, uh, you tell me that Russians are responsible for the uh, soccer game fights in France last week where 200 Russian fans are surrounded by several thousand British soccer fans. Uh, I don't believe that's an accurate representation. And uh, just one thing after the other. So from the serious to the uh, whatever, it was just fascinating to, to watch his mind in action. And uh, what that we had presidents of, of a, half the intellectual depth or, or chancellors in Germany and, and elsewhere. Uh, the world, uh, I think, would be a little bit safer place. Well, we're told all the time, of course, that it's uh, that it's Russia and China, it's these countries that are threatening us. We um, we hear all the time in the United States that, that the Russian economy is on the ropes. We hear that Ch the Chinese economy is in big trouble, and uh, I I must say that I 
I kind of buy into that one, uh, the, the Chinese economy. Uh, I don't know that they're in worse shape than we are. I, mean, I think that, you know, on the other hand, the spin, the spin in the United States is that things are much better than they really are, for sure. Yeah. But you, you yeah. wrote an article on May 25th. You wrote an article, China and Russia is where it's happening. So, you know, from the propaganda we get in day in and day out, but you were talking in, in pretty glowing terms in some ways about the Russian and Chinese uh, economies, or at least their cooperation between themselves and developing and building wealth. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I just finished a book on this for China. That's called The Eurasian Century, in contrast to the American Century, which is in its twilight now in the last 25, 30 years. The Chinese president, two and a half, three years ago in Kazakhstan, proposed building a New economic Silk Road is what they call it. Now it's called the One Belt, One Road. It's a series of deep-sea shipping ports uh, in Malaysia and Pakistan and, and uh, many different countries uh, uh, in, in surrounding Eurasia. And a network of high-speed railway links that will crisscross Eurasia from Russia, Kazakhstan, Belarus, down into Iran now, the latest uh, leg of the thing, and up through into uh, China and Pakistan and uh, all sorts of uh, places in between. And the Chinese have created two, or co-created two international lending banks. One is the Asia Infrastructure Investment Bank, which started up uh, late last year, and the other is the BRICS that's the Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa countries, the BRICS New Development Bank. And those were created explicitly to lend to infrastructure projects in Eurasia, in Asia, because the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund are U.S.-controlled institutions. They're not interested in development. They're interested in controlling development in those countries with their credits and their conditionalities. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, it's very little covered in the West. It's astonishingly little covered in the European Union, where I live in Germany. But this is probably the biggest infrastructure project, building railway lines and ports and so forth in world history, but beyond a doubt. It's going to transform the economic map of this planet, uh, unless we are stupid enough to blow ourselves up in a thermonuclear orgy of so-called ballistic missile defense and all this other nonsense that Obama's administration is throwing at Russia and China. Uh, I don't think that will happen, frankly. I think uh, the world has more sanity than that and uh, whatever the neocons that have hijacked the State Department and and the the chunk of the Pentagon and the CIA in in the last years, whatever they their agenda is, their agenda is failing everywhere. All their wars are losing wars. They never win wars. You know, you have to think about that. Iraq, 2003, George W. Bush, Dick Cheney. They lost that war. Afghanistan, they lost that war. Uh, Libya, they lost that war against Gaddafi, Hillary Clinton's war. And uh, you just go on down the list. The Arab Spring, that was U.S. State Department. That was Hillary Clinton. And they lost all of those wars. Egypt, They put in a puppet uh, Muslim Brotherhood president called uh, Mohammed Morsi. Uh, Muslim Brotherhood is a fanatical death cult. The the 
the mother uh, uh, sea crystal of Al-Qaeda, of ISIS, of Al-Nusra, all of these terrorist organizations. They're death cults. So they've lost all of this. They've just, they, they are losing it. And that's what's got them freaked out, I think. It's got, uh, look at Hillary Clinton's face when she, she makes a speech about any of these subjects. She just spews out hate and venom. And that's not what the world needs right now. It's not what the United States needs. It's not what American people need. We need someone with a balanced mind, a mentally stable, balanced mind, and a, a mind that's inclined toward peaceful diplomatic solutions to these conflicts and not war every time that, that the U.S. always loses, by the way. Yeah. Well, maybe by design, uh, I mean, you know, you create chaos and then, uh, and then a vacuum takes place and then you, you gain control. I mean, the more chaos no, you create. And when I, when I say they lose, Jay, they don't, never finish that point. They don't gain control. Yeah. China comes in, Russia comes in. Uh, they stabilize the situation as best they can, but the U.S. never gains control. These Wall Street banks never gain control. Big oil never gains control. They lose everything every time, and they, they cannot see that. Well, as you say, we need... One point, and, uh, excuse me for really stressing yeah, that. Sure. It's very crucial. Yeah, uh, you know, you say we need a president in the United States who's, uh, you know, who's, who, who, who seeks peace, who seeks peaceful resolutions and ways to work together and to make the world a better place. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, we've got a choice now between Clinton and, uh, and uh, Trump. I mean, what hope do you have? And, and now we're hearing the story about how the U.S. or the NATO is putting troops around, um, around Russia in many ways. Yeah. And, and there's talk also about how trying to find an excuse almost to, to, um, to ramp up the anger towards Russia and possibly engage in a military conflict with Russia. They're talking about how Russia, uh, NATO is talking about how uh, they're blaming Russia for, for tapping into Hillary's emails and that that could constitute a provocation of war. I mean, that's Hillary's kind of... Email. Hillary's emails are public documents. They're not it, classified State Department documents. That's the point. <laughs> that's the point. But the point is they're saying that, uh, you know, whether it's, um, you know, uh, whether it's Russia or whoever it is, uh, they're bl- blaming Russia for tapping in and, and, and making it. Uh, so some excuse. I mean, it doesn't have to be a truthful reason, right? I mean, I, 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 wars in the past, there's a lot of times provoked by by uh, false flags. Sure. The Gulf and of so, Pakistan, uh, Vietnam, all of those. All of those, right, exactly. So, I mean... So can can you say? I mean, to me, I'm I'm concerned about it. I mean, here we got NATO putting the German soldiers that are operating in Lithuania. Uh, Lithuania, British uh, is over in Estonia. The U.S. soldiers are moving uh, in to protect Latvia. Canadians uh, will be in Poland supposedly. Also, on the Mediterranean, combat units units are being increased supposedly. Now, as we talk. Um, this doesn't sound like uh, like the NATO people are going away. I like the uh, the neocons that Eisenhower warned us about are are, are not are are going away. I, where is your reason for hope? Well, the, this letter from fifty one uh, leading lights, if you want to call them that, of the U.S. State Department, saying we need to in order to create stability in. Syria, <coughs> we need to bomb the Syrian National Army and yeah. Hafez al-Assad. 
And any idiot uh, with half a brain can uh, follow the logic that that would open the door for chaos and uh, ISIS or Al-Qaeda al-Nusra to simply walk into Baghdad. And what but was isn't that? that is, is, another is, Libya, another failed war. But isn't so, that what you might expect from Hillary? Of course, of course. Yeah. She's mentally unstable. Excuse me for being very blunt about this. The woman is not competent to be a Sunday school teacher, let alone. Well, but I, but I think the last, the, last, the last time we spoke, you were more concerned about Donald Trump than her. So where does that leave us? Uh, between evil one and evil two, there is no lesser of two this time. So where is the room for optimism, William? I'm look, I'm grasping for it. The room for optimism is outside the U.S., I think. And, and if people in the U.S. wake up from their trance uh, and, and realize that this is all Hollywood staging, uh, it could even be that Donald Trump is put in there to throw the election to Hillary Clinton. I, yeah. I don't know. It could be that Hillary Clinton has a stroke and drops dead uh, or that she's indicted uh, for these email scandals that Obama is so desperately trying to prevent because there's some kind of dirty deal between Obama and Bill Clinton uh, to hide certain Obama scandals, as far as I can see. Mm -hmm. Very dirty deal. Uh, so it's a mess. Washington is is uh, like Rome in the 4th century AD. It's, it's the, you know, the, the, the stench of corruption is everywhere. Uh, the lack of principled Senators, I uh, was at a conference three years ago in Tehran with a, a former senator from Alaska, and the demeanor, the, the statesmanship, uh, the intellectual quality of, of this person was heads and shoulders above someone like, uh, oh, just name any senator you want, uh, mm -hmm. uh, or a congressman. And, uh, you know, he was concerned for his nation. He said, we Democrats and Republicans, always behind the scenes, used to find room for compromise and not mm -hmm. this confrontation. You know, shutting the government down for weeks at a time or uh, doing this or doing that. All right. Well, you know, you, you mentioned your hope lies with Europe, and I, and I, and I take no, I note. Didn't. No, no, I didn't. I said Eurasia. Oh, with Eurasia. Okay, but Europe is a disaster right now. Oh, okay. Well, we're, we're seeing we're we're seeing a lot of discontent in Europe. I mean, you can understand. I I believe the French um, uh, Total has a uh, has an interest in this gigantic LNG project that's in Russia. Uh, you're seeing the French people, some of the uh, some of the German people, actually getting really angry about this provocation of war uh, from NATO, and, and suggesting that uh, Russia tapping into Hillary's emails uh, is uh, you know warrants war and stuff. And the Europeans themselves, there must be a lot of people. You're in Germany. Do you sense that there is an uprising and anger among uh, the German people against this sort of? Um, uh, the sort of world, one world government movement that the NATO seems to want to push? Well, they, there's a huge uprising. Germans, uh, a friend of mine told me of a, of a German airline pilot who made a, an informal survey of everyone he met, uh, maybe 200 people on the street, and so said, uh, how do you feel about staying in Europe uh, or leaving it given the present situation? And he said, 98% said, let's leave it. Let's leave it. This is a failure. It's a disaster. 
Angela Merkel, the refugee policies that she's following, the uh, everything that, that's you know coming out of Berlin these days is just freaking out the ordinary German who wants nothing but stability. Unusually so because of the history of Germany, the Second World War, the uh, post-war traumas and, and uh, rebuilding of, of the nation back in the late 40s and the 50s. So they want stability. They don't want, uh, you know, refugees coming in where every third one may be a terrorist. They don't know. You know, nobody knows. Mm -hmm. uh, suddenly there's a million of these people walking around with different uh, dress and some of them walking around like hip hoppers. Most of them male between 18 and 26, by the way. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And talk about a, a formula for social explosion. Uh, when the Syrian uh, Syrians go out in, en masse uh, on the streets in big cities like Berlin or whatever, and then uh, the Turkish gangs do the same, and they've been here a little bit longer, they know the language, but, uh, you know, there's, you have turf wars and all sorts of things. So uh, this is just destabilizing ordinary Germans uh, like nothing in the post-war period, because it's not refugees from the Soviet system in Eastern Europe or East Germany that are streaming over, who speak the language, who share the culture of Europe and so forth. These are people from a radically different culture. Most of them, I think 83% I read, most of them uh, completely uneducated. So this idea of a skilled labor pool of doctors and lawyers and scientists and engineers is a complete myth. That's how Merkel sold this thing, and it's a complete myth. So it's... Well, uh, it, uh, by so... Way, the the, yeah. the uh, person steering this, both in Syria and in Germany, is the American, uh, I won't call him philanthropist because he has no love of, of mankind, George Soros. Right. Yeah, very interesting. I, I think uh, uh, Zero Hedge, I was reading something about... Uh, uh, Soros has actually come right out and said and admitted essentially that he is in the process of, or that he engages in overthrowing governments through his, uh, uh, through his uh, NGOs. So, I mean, that's something that you have talked about. Daniel McAdams, the Ron Paul Institute, has talked about it. It's a fairly well, fairly well known, uh, but that uh, you know that he is really the government in a sense, uh, or these rich, powerful people. You know, we had John Perkins on this show, and we've only got another minute or so left, but John Perkins talked about how the United States since World War II, what it's tried to do is get third world countries in debt, and it tries yeah. to get the, the dictators to go along with the program. If they don't, they arrange an accident, his airplane goes down or whatever, they put in someone else. If they can't get the government to agree with the indebtedness program to get the, get the country in debt, then in some cases we'll send in the military. Is, do you think yeah. that's you think Soros has been operating uh, with a color revolution attempts in Russia, perhaps? George Soros has been involved in every single color revolution since uh, Tiananmen Square in 1989 in China, when the Chinese government threw his foundation uh, out of the country. George Soros has been involved in stirring up the dissidents in Russia. He's been involved, and he bragged about this, in the Mayan Square coup d'etat that the U.S. Yeah. Uh, pulled off in February 2014. He bragged that he has been involved in Ukraine since before, when it was still part of the Soviet Union through his NGO. All right, and William, 
we're, we're going to have to let it go at that. We're, we're really out of time. I, I'm really sorry. We, we could go on and on with you. Thank you so much for being with us. And, uh, Thank you, Jason. Uh, and, uh, and your book, of course, people should go where to, to um, I should, you mentioned well, the, your, your website. Yeah, my, my newest book is called The Lost Hegemon, Whom the Gods Would Destroy. And if you go on my website, uh, you can subscribe for free to my uh, bi-monthly newsletter, bi-weekly newsletter. Absolutely. We'll get excerpts from the entire chapter from the book so you can get an idea, right. but it's explosive, uh, The Lost Hegemon. Yes, it's a must-read, folks. Please go out and buy it, and uh, we'll, look to, we'll look to talk to you again sometime in the near future. William, thanks so much for being with us. Well, folks, that is all the time we have. Next week, I'm going to have John Rubino with us. He's going to talk about artificial intelligence and how that is now replacing uh, analysts, ag- analysts in the financial realm. So uh, this is sort of a frightening thing. I think something you want to keep track of as well. So I look forward to uh, having you join us next week. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Trimetals Mining is a growth-focused mineral exploration company creating value through the exploration and development of its 100% owned near-surface Gold Springs Gold Silver Project in mining-friendly Nevada and Utah. Trimetals has only drilled less than 10% of the gold targets at Gold Springs, and it already has a robust preliminary economic assessment. Trimetals believes there is a significant potential to increase the gold mineral resource through further drilling. Trimetals shares are listed on the OTCQX and the TSX under symbols TMIAF and TMI respectively. 